Every woman needs to be the CEO of her life. She needs to have a seat at the table and create a seat at the table for others. There is power when women gather. When one woman is at the table, she can pull up another seat at the table for others to join. But I'm not talking about any table. I'm talking about the table where decisions are made, the decisions that affect our careers, lives, family, communities, and most importantly, ourselves. Every woman has a C-suite in her life. Either she is sitting at the table or in the lobby trying to get in. It's time to be at the head of the table where you are the best decision to be made. Your life has a C-suite where you make the decisions to create the life you desire and deserve. I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes and I welcome you to join me in the C-suite. Conversations from the C-suite, the girlfriend's guide to being a CEO. Whether you report to a CEO or you are the CEO of your own company, you are always the CEO of you. But guess what? Guess what, girlfriend? It's time. It's time to join the conversation. It's time to make the CEO moves and move yourself to the head of the table where you are the CEO of you. Well, hello, I'm back. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations from the C-Suite. I hope that you have missed these powerful conversations. Of course, I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, your host, and I welcome you to Conversations from the C-Suite, the girlfriend's guide to being a CEO, and we are excited to launch the new season. So every woman, you know, every woman needs to be the CEO of her life. She needs to have a seat at the table because there is power when women gather. When one woman gets to the table, she gets to bring along another. And that's where the power begins. You know, the conversations from the C-suite is a power packed hour of conversation that gives women a platform to talk about the things that really matter to us because you know life doesn't end when we leave the office in fact that's where life just begins so we want to provide a great place for conversation that is a an elevation of your mindset to get you to the next level. We want not only to elevate your mindset, but we want to compel women especially to take action because CEOs don't just wait for great things to happen. They make great things happen. Why the C-suite? Well, you know, the C-suite is typically where in any organization, that's where all the chiefs are. That's what a chief executive officer is. All the chiefs are in the C-suite. But the main thing or the most powerful thing about the C-suite is not the people who are there, but the fact that that's where the decisions are made. And each one of us has a C-suite in our lives. We have a place where the decisions are made that impact our life, our career, our family, our community, and beyond. So we want you 
to get to your C-suite. Because as I have recently thought about this, you know, some of us are actually in the C-suite. Some of us are in the lobby outside and we all need to be in there. But not only do we need to be in the C-suite, but we need to be at the head of the table acting as the CEO. So on this journey to being a CEO, you are either a CEO on the rise. You know, you're just getting started. You're out there in the lobby. You're trying to make your way into the door. You may be a CEO on the move. You know, you are new at this. You've decided I'm in here. I'm going to make my place at the table, but you need to take it to the next level. You may also be the CEO. You're at the head of the table. But here's the thing. The journey to your C-suite never ends. And it's not because it's some um, some situation where you can never solve it, but because it is an evolution. Once you get to this level, there's always the next. There's always the next. and You get better and better and better. So it's a beautiful journey where there is no one destination, but this truly beautiful journey that takes you through life. So you are in the right place if you are ready to be the CEO of your life, the CEO of you. Because whether you report to a CEO or you are the CEO of your own business, you are always the CEO of you. So we want to equip you while you're here. We want to equip you to make CEO moves. We want you to learn something. We want you to feel something. But most of all, baby, we want you to do something. Because the operative word in CEO is executive, which means you are executing, you are getting things done. So we want you to make those CEO moves. Create your circles of influence. You can't get to the C-suite and you definitely can't stay there by yourself. You need a great team, a great circle of influence. You need to educate and empower yourself for elevation. And then you need to operationalize what you learn to optimize your outcomes. It means you got to do something with it because knowledge without action is just trivia. So it's time for you to be the CEO of you. So I'm very excited about this episode because we are going to launch a series that has been in the making for almost three years now. It has been, well, honestly, it's been in the making for 46 years. You know, it is it is the story of my life in, in, in many of our lives, but it is a, a story that has been in the making. And I'm so excited on International Women's Day to launch my Living Life in the and series living life in the end that's what i want us women ceos to do we need to live life in the end and you know it's hard to operate in the end when the social constructs of life commit us to this box you're either or you are a mother or a wife or a career woman or a friend or a sister but honestly, if we're going to be the CEOs of our lives, we've got to learn to live life in the end because you don't have to be in a box and be one or the other. You truly can be all of those things. But, you know, I love to celebrate what I call the trinity of womanhood, the trinity of womanhood, wife, mother, lover, career woman, you know, all in one person. It's not one or the other. But we truly are every woman, like Shaka Khan and then Whitney Houston said, I'm every woman, it's all in me. That's true. 
And a lot of times, you know, in this quest for the all, we think that because sometimes we can't have all, all at one time that we can't have it all. But the truth is you can have it all. Your all is your personal definition. What is all for me may be too much for you. And what is all for you may not be enough for me. But each of us has the all that we should strive for and can strive for and can accomplish. So I like to think of women CEOs as one woman, yet many. The interconnected components and expectations of all these roles are what lead us to self-actualization. Now, y'all know I'm a PhD. I'm a big nerd, but I'm not going to get into all the theory. I'm going to break it down to where we can understand it so that, you know, this is truly a great conversation. But there's a point to all of this. And I'm going to give you the history and share with you why it's so important for us to live life in the end. Because Again, we don't have to box ourselves or limit ourselves to being this or that. We truly can embrace living in the end and be all of that in a bag of chips if we commit to, again, being the CEO of ourselves, making those decisions, being in our C-suite so that we can achieve the life, we can create the life we desire and deserve. So, you know, I could talk all day and I won't talk all day, but I am ready to launch this quest, right? Because this is indeed a quest. Living life in the end, as I mentioned, is something that really began two years ago. And I'm going to give you give you all the backstory and the history. But what I want to say is this is a quest to answer the question of how can women have it all? So over the course of the next two years, I'm giving myself that time frame. This is going to be a conversation that also serves as research. I am going to interview 100 women, learn about the different things that they're doing in their lives, how they're living their personal version of living life in the end. And at the end of each conversation, I'm going to ask the same set of research questions and get to the bottom of the answer to what do modern women believe to be a successful life. So those of you who are watching, if you want to be a part of it, reach out, let your girl know, because this is not, you know, just about a select group of women. I truly want to tap into the diversity of women that are out there, housewives, women who are executive, women who are working in the workforce, women who are at different phases of their lives, because the thing is, all is not a one size fits all. So if we want to know what it takes to achieve it all, well, we got to talk to all the right people, right? So if you're interested, let me know. And I will be reaching out and getting those interviews scheduled because this is an ambitious project, but y'all know me. I like to be fabulous. So, you know, I don't take anything on that's, that's like, you know, I always got to be extra. So, but that's all right because living the fabulous life is about transcending the ordinary to create the extraordinary. So I embrace the extra in all that I do. So I hope that you are ready. I hope that you are ready to enter the C-suite. And not only are you ready to enter the C-suite, but you are ready for a great conversation. You're ready to make 
those CEO moves. All right. So I'm so excited to be back. You know, this has I've been working on things and getting the concept and everything worked out. Also getting out of my own way, because, you know, even though I am a CEO, sometimes I can take on some receptionist mentalities and get in my own way. But that's all part of the evolution, which is why it's so important to have that circle of influence that can help you get out your own way so that you can get on the way to accomplishing what it is that you were put here to do. And so I'm going to share with you kind of how all of this came about. But I just want to take a moment because this is International Women's Day. And, you know, I when I was thinking about when I was going to launch this, first of all, it was supposed to launch three months ago. It didn't. You know, and there's some reasons, some legitimate, some not. But I really wanted this to be impactful and I really I needed to get some things together. But I thought, what better day to launch a project, a, a love of mine than that is going to help us to, to be better women and, and celebrate women than to do that on International Women's Day. So, boom. Here we are. So I am excited to celebrate International Women's Day. And, you know, I remember, I don't know, maybe this. Yeah, it was this time last year. I read a Facebook post and it pissed me off. But it really emphasized why International Women's Day is so important to to embrace. So y'all know I have matured in age. My eyes not what they used to be. So I'm going to put my glasses on. So I'm going to read something to you because. I have not committed this to memory, but I want to share it to you. But and I want to get it right. So there was a, a Facebook post, like I say, that someone, uh, a Facebook friend. Um, I think she's still my Facebook friend. I may have blocked her. I don't know. You know, I'm a little petty, but I'm not really petty as much as well, I am petty. I do have some petty tendencies, but I am committed to protecting my energy. And when there is energy that does not comport with the type of energy that I need, I do not hesitate and I do not apologize. Cut it off. So anyway, don't know if she's still my Facebook friend. But anyway, she posted this. I'm all about equality. So when is International Men's Day? She went on to say, I don't get it. I don't feel like I'm treated unfairly or unequal. I don't think a day is necessary to celebrate my gender either. Just another day in the world. And, you know, it, it really, like I said, it pissed me off. It really made me angry. And I did not do a response then because I was too caught up in my pettiness and it wasn't going to go good and it wasn't worth the energy. I, I, I thought about it and I wrote a piece about it later talking about privilege. Because oftentimes when we are ensconced in privilege and because we are not experiencing the disadvantage, we don't think that the disadvantage is there. And while I, in my experience, may not face a disadvantage that another woman does, it is still, I believe, my responsibility to be her advocate. Because when we are advocates for each other, we are individually empowered, we are collectively empowered. So I love International Women's Day in that it gives us a moment and it shouldn't be just one day, but it gives us a moment to truly celebrate the accomplishments that women have achieved. Because whether you experience it directly or not, 
And whether you experience it in any level of the spectrum, the truth is around the world globally. And I will say this was an American woman, right? And uh, Americans often tend to kind of see ourselves in this insular setting where we don't necessarily understand how the global world is going on around us. And because we may not be experiencing some things here in America, which I would argue we're in danger of, you know, anyway, I'm not going to go there. So, but anyway, we have to be connected globally. And one of the great things over the past few years is I've had the opportunity to travel internationally and, and speak at international women's conferences and speak to women from all walks of life, different countries, different experiences, different cultures. And the underlying theme is that all of us face similar issues. So International Women's Day is really not about excluding men. It's not about uh, separating us from men, but to recognize and put emphasis on the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. It's the day to celebrate the fact that we have and we are. And, and really to celebrate the fact that there is a woman who believes that because that she experiences no disadvantage because of her gender. And the thing that she missed is that didn't just happen in isolation. It happened because of many women who fought to have a seat at the table so that she could have that seat at the table and think that this is just the way it is. So anyway, that's the irony of that situation. But, you know, it, serves, you know, International Women's Day serves to bring attention to the documented injustices that women of many hues, many experiences, many cultures, many religions still experience and they, what they have experienced in the past, you know, and there is no International Men's Day because there's no historical persecution of men, okay? When you think of it as a gender, we're not going to get into men of color, men of certain religions. I, we know that there are disadvantages and discriminations that men have experienced in those pockets, but I'm talking about men as a gender, okay? Men have always had the right to vote, the right to hold property, the right to, um, to do the things, the freedoms that many times we, we take for granted, you know? And women in America have only achieved a lot of these rights in the last 100 years, people of color in America, uh, particularly black people, you know, have only achieved these rights in the last 50 years. And, you know, although equality exists between the gender and race on the statutes, there's still this big chasm between what's on paper and what's in practice. So International Women's Day is truly an opportunity to celebrate how far we've come to educate on how far we need to go and to invigorate us to keep the progress going so that this time next year and the year after that and the year after that, there can be a woman who thinks that there is no persecution specific to her gender and can ask the question, why are we selling International Women's Day? So with that, I just want to share this, this quick little piece that I've written. It's called my manifesto. It's, it's much longer. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But I just want to share with you my vision for women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day. Okay, so I'll share this with you. I have a dream 
I have a dream that women will be able to walk in the power of their decisions, not to dominate or domineer or destroy men, themselves, or each other, but to create in the fullness of their potential. When women walk in their power, they literally give life to the world. They create harmony. They create, they innovate, they make the world better. A woman's innate purpose is to create. Uninhibited, she will. Unbridled, she can. I see a world where women are valued everywhere. At home, at work, in the bedroom, in the boardroom, in the marketplace, in the fields, in the church, in government, and in every place where she can make a difference. There, she is valued for her brain, her beauty, her body, her heart, and her spirit. She is elevated, never denigrated. She is loved and never hated. She is treasured, never castigated. Her voice matters. Her voice is heard. She is not spoken over or spoken for or spoken against. She is more than a conversation piece, but a conversation starter. When she speaks, men listen. When she speaks, the world listens. Her sisters value her words. She is not viewed as competition, but as competitive. She is the dream that never goes to sleep. She is the dream that will not die because it must give birth to the dreams of others. She is the dream that is more than a dream, but a vision, a vision for a new life, new experience, new day, and a new dream. May women be celebrated today and every day, and may we make the dream a reality. So with that, I just want to say happy International Women's Day. This is truly a day to celebrate where we are, where we have come, and the beauty of the journey that we're on. So with that, I want to segue into this Living Life in the And series. So you know, this, as I mentioned, has been a, a project that is definitively two and a half years in the making. But as I said, it's, it's, it's been a lifetime quest and was only articulated as um, a project about two and a half years ago. And I got lots of things I'm going to share with you today. But I want to set this up because over the course of the next episodes, the next 100 episodes, I am going to interview 100 women. And we're going to have great conversations about the things they're doing, but I really want to learn. And so I want to tell you kind of how all this came about, right? So, you know, initially, or I guess almost 10 years ago now, I began this journey to my C-suite. I decided, I woke up one day and decided I want to be a CEO because I wanted to matter. I wanted my life to matter and I wanted to be able to create the life I desired and deserve. I did not want to be in anybody's box 
And I did not want to be limited by what others' expectations were of me or even of my own expectations. And so I wanted my voice to be heard. And one of the things that I noticed in looking around my environment at the time, I was literally in the C-suite. I had the chief in front of my name. And yet I felt that my voice didn't matter. And one of the things that I recognize is that my CEO's voice always mattered. Whatever my CEO said, you know, folks would do. And a lot of times if I needed to get an initiative pushed forward, I had to get his voice behind it in order to get the support I needed. And so I was like, well, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to become a CEO myself. You know, I'm going to be a CEO. I need this title. I need it on my business card. I need it on my desk. I need to be a CEO. And I started this quest to be literally a CEO. And I called up my friend, good friend, mentor, and said, you know, I need to be a CEO. And, you know, she was like, CEO of what? I was like, I don't care. I don't matter. Doesn't, be, doesn't matter if it's nonprofit, for profit. I just need to be a CEO. And in earnest, she tried to help me. She connected me with an opportunity that was not for me, but it was the great beginning of this journey to my C-suite. So after I did not get selected for that position, I wasn't qualified for it. And she was generous to even put me up for it. But anyway, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to stick with trying to be the CEO thing because I need this behind my name. And I started to learn about CEOs. And one of the things I read many years ago was that CEOs read four to five books a month. I love to read. I was like, hey, we're on to something. So I came up with this list. I think there was a list that was published at that time about the top 20 books that every CEO should read. And I kind of started that process. But in the course of reading about other CEOs, I began to learn that it really wasn't about the title, the position, as much as it was about the influence and about the decisions. And so that was very pivotal in helping me to transcend beyond this desire to be in a literal C-suite with CEO behind my name, but the desire to be in the C-suite of my life and to create the life I desire and deserve. And I'll put a pin in that for a moment and talk about desire and deserve and why I use those words, right? So, you know, a lot of times we talk about the things we want and I have kind of backed off of using want because it has a double entendre. It can mean to, to desire something or it can mean to lack something. And since I ain't in the business of lacking nothing, I really wanna focus on desire. So that's why I choose the word desire because desire creates this burning fire, it creates this vision, it creates this momentum to get to what you want. And deserve is very important and, and decisive in, in that word because we do deserve it. You know, this is not about taking anything away from anyone. It's not about, you know, taking anything that we don't, that we're not qualified for. And a lot of times women in particular, I don't have anything against men. You know, it's I'm the CEO of C-Suite Women's Network, not because I hate men and don't want men to, to be successful, but I'm committed to helping women. And I believe when I help women get at the table, I help us all. And you know, there's lots of research to back that up, right? About how women contribute to the conversation and how we truly make the conversation a better, a more robust one. And we have, we have a place at the table because we add things that men cannot and vice versa. And when we work together, 
it's a better situation. But a lot of times women will disqualify themselves for opportunities and things that they desire because they don't believe they deserve it. So I want you to believe that you deserve it. So I want you to create the life you desire and deserve. And you create the life you desire and deserve by the decisions that you make. And decision is another purposeful word. I love the word decision because at its root is the word side, C-I-D-E. And side means to kill, to kill or to cut off. So when you make a decision, you ain't killing nobody. Okay, let's get that straight. But you kill off or cut off all other options, but the option that gets you to your choice. So when you make a decision, you are making a powerful statement. You're making a powerful action and you are literally cutting off all of those options that are not the options that get you to where you need to be. So that's why being the CEO of you truly embraces your decision to create the life you desire and deserve. So there you go. There that is. So, so, you know, that's kind of how all of this got started. And eventually, you know, I became very committed to getting other women at the table because I noticed that when I was at the literal table of the organization I worked for, you know, I was the only woman of color and I was the only woman executive outside of nursing. I worked for a healthcare organization. And I'm like, you know, there are more women that need to be here. And I also had conversations with a lot of women from time to time who did not feel that they could be leaders. They wanted to be leaders, but didn't have the opportunity. So I decided that if I was at the table, that I needed to get other women at the table. Because on the one hand, it was selfish because you are more powerful when you have an alliance than you are when you sit down all by yourself. Remember that. That's why collaboration is powerful. It doesn't detract from your power. It makes you more powerful. And there, the organization was missing out on some really great leaders. So I committed to getting other women at the table. And this led to me coming up with a leadership development program. I got my CEO's permission to offer it. I developed it from just the books I read. That was all I knew to do. And the first class was for women only. And I was blessed to be able to do that for five classes. I think I taught five classes. So over 100 people, mostly women. I think I had probably about five or six men who went through it. But mostly women went through that. And they were able to get to the C-suites they desired. Some of them literally became executives. Others just decided to really take their lives to the next levels and others were just enriched by the process. But it was a blessing to me. And that led to me building my business and putting me on this personal journey. Well, you know, I'm a nerd and I can't just do things just a little bit. So somewhere along the process, I decided that, well, I need to just go ahead and get a PhD in organizational leadership if I really want to be effective at this thing. Yeah, like I really needed to get another degree. But I did. I got my PhD, started my PhD in August 2012, literally on the day of hurricane. A hurricane hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I think it was Isaac. And that was the day I was supposed to start. <laughs> my, well, that was the day I started my PhD classes. My first class was that day. It was an online program. And it put me on this journey of learning. And I truly loved it. 
And when it got time to do my dissertation, I initially was going to do a dissertation on because I was I did it ostensibly to be a better faculty member in at the, what was at the time the development of our people develop people university, our corporate university, people development program. And so my initial dissertation topic was going to be on how to, in, essentially investing in people development for healthcare organizations improve patient quality and patient satisfaction. I wanted to see if you had better people, did you have better quality, which means you had better outcomes for your patients. So anyway, I left the health system and I'm like, well, I don't want to do that anymore because it wasn't going to be initially beneficial to me. And so I was sitting at my kitchen table watching, I don't know what I was watching. I don't know, something MTV or some, some, some popular like pop culture show was on. And I ran across an article in the Rolling Stone and I was like scrolling on my on my iPad, ran across an article in the Rolling Stone about Nicki Minaj. And the article, you know, it had a very salacious, you know, cover. I think she might have had on like a, a, a T-shirt and that was it. But, you know, I went ahead and read it. But what struck me about the article was it really talked about her business prowess. Right. It talked about her as a business person. And a light bulb went off in my head and I'm like, wow. Hmm. I wonder what young girls who want to be businesswomen think about this article, if they read it, and Nicki Minaj. And I had also been kind of thinking about reality television shows because I love fashion, love fashion. And I used to watch was America's Next Top Model because I used to love the fashion. That show had gone off and I started watching a lot of the Real Housewives shows because ostensibly they were always dressed really nice. And so I was like, well, this will be how I'll get my, my fashion fixed. And I was kind of. Um, within five minutes of the um, broad of the of the broadcast, they um, were bickering at each other, and it just affected my spirit so much that I I had to I had to turn it off. I had to you know I had to just shut it off, and and so I made a point not to partake in the reality television shows. But anyway. Nicki Minaj, Rolling Stones article, Real Housewives shows, I began to reflect on, you know, my childhood. My mother is a teacher. She's an educator. She's now an entrepreneur. But at the time, you know, I had no direct contact with a business businesswoman. There were many powerful women that I knew, but they were all educators. And I didn't see them in the light of being uh, businesswomen. All right. I never met a woman lawyer. I didn't meet like a woman corporate executive. And so all that I saw was, you know, just a, a, a synopsis of the what I later learned to be the different types of CEOs that they are out there. But anyway, so my role models were Claire Huxtable, Murphy Brown. 
those were the two women executives I saw on the television. And Mary Tyler Moore, to some extent, because I watched the reruns, but in terms of the shows, the modern day shows airing was Murphy Brown and Claire Huxtable. And so I got to thinking, wow, what influence does this have on the development of role models or, or the development of leadership in women who see Nicki Minaj, Beyonce, the Real Housewives in particular, as role models. Because I began to reflect that a lot of the Real Housewives are ostensibly businesswomen and they hold themselves out as such. They become businesswomen as a result of their exposure on the show, right? And so, but they do not conduct themselves in the manner I think that businesswomen conduct themselves because, you know, as, as mad as I've gotten at a colleague, male or female, you know, I have not gone across the table at somebody using the choice words and all the things that they do when they get mad at each other on some of the reality shows, right? And so I got to thinking, what influence does this have on young girls who want to be businesswomen? Do they think this is how we act? No, that is not how we act. Because if we act like that in the corporate world, in a business meeting, we're not going to be successful and we're going to get escorted out by the police. Okay. So anyway, so I, that's what I decided I was going to do my dissertation research on. So my dissertation was uh, called Murphy Brown, Queen Bees and Real Housewives, the influence of reality and scripted television on the development of leadership identity in women. Okay. So I did all this research on Queen Bees, by the way, are women, it's there's studies out there on this. Queen bees are women who do not support other women. Essentially, that's kind of your broad test. But essentially, these are women who have gotten to the C-suite and shut the door on everybody else. They either believe that I got here by myself, you need to get here by yourself, or they actively work against other women. So this is a studied phenomenon, the queen bee syndrome. Okay. And then, you know, kind of in the pop culture world, the queen bees are those that kind of resort to what I call or what is called rather relational aggression, this grown up version of the mean girls. Right. So I studied all of that, but I also began to study the depiction of women in the media. And I read this article, this research article that looked at, I think, maybe 100 films. And it was studying the archetype of women as portrayed in these films. And the disturbing thing about that article, and there were a couple of others, a couple of research that, that looked at women in the media, but the media representation was that if you were successful as a career woman, your home life was a wreck. You were mean and miserable with no love life. They just kind of created this or you were either a successful housewife or a successful wife with no career aspirations, or you were a successful woman with a career. You couldn't be both. Life in the or, right? And so that made me think about, you know, for the young girl out there who may not have a role model to talk to, and she's looking at TV like I looked at Murphy Brown and Claire Huxtable, what is she going to think about how she can be successful if she can be successful. 
And so that was, you know, how I ended up doing that research. But in addition to completing my dissertation on that subject, I also became committed to developing positive media that enriches and empowers women and girls. And that's how Conversations from the C-Suite was born. It is my first attempt, not attempt, but it is my first effort in my desire to contribute to the development of positive media that empowers and enriches women and girls. So it is my dream, it is my goal, it is my intent that women and young girls who happen to watch Conversations from the C-Suite will get to see powerful, successful women having great dialogue, positive dialogue, and hearing things. That's why I want them to learn, feel, and do something so that they can have access to positive role models who are deciding to live their life in the end. So in the first 25 episodes of Conversations from the C-Suite, and by the way, please go out and subscribe to that. It's Conversations from the C-Suite is on all of the podcast platforms and the entire first season is on there. So it's 25 episodes. Go out there and subscribe to it. But it focused on kind of, I, I looked at different aspects of our lives. I looked at, I started off with mental wellness because that is the most vital element of being a CEO is our mindset. So like the first ep first eight episodes focused on mental wellness. And then we moved into something that really influences our ability to be CEOs and that's our finances because a lot of us make choices based on our financial abilities and a lot of times our finances are not where they need to be and it keeps us from going where we need to be so we talked about getting that money and then finally we focus on our relationships creating those circles of influence right so we talked about different relationships different aspects uh, romantic relationships, professional relationships, but looking at those three areas. And now we are embarking on the series that is going to look at this concept of living life in the end. Because the whole point of all of this is getting us, one, to see ourselves in positive lights, because we need to hear from women who are doing it all. Because a lot of times we see women who have, a, have accomplished what we wish to accomplish and we make assumptions that it's easy. And let me tell you, it ain't. Any woman that you ever speak to about how she balances, whatever her version of balance is, how she achieves her accomplishments, whatever those are, she will tell you it, it's not just happening by magic. It's not happening by easy. It's not happening easily. It's happening because of the decisions she makes the decisions she does not make, her, her CEO moves, the circle of influence, who is she surrounded with? Because she didn't get to the C-suite by herself. She has a team. And that's one thing I want you to remember about a CEO. A CEO comes up with an idea, develops a strategy, builds a team that they influence to execute that strategy. So just remember that CEO is not a solo activity. It is a team effort and the CEO is the leader that influences the others. So you're going to hear that. You're also going to hear about she has educated and empowered herself for elevation. You have to educate yourself. 
And education comes in lots of forms, formal education, informal education, but learning, listening, and then most importantly, the last part, operationalizing what they learn to optimize their outcomes. Because if you just watch this or you go to a conference and you just take notes, you got a beautiful notebook and you don't do anything with it, you're not going to do anything, right? So that's what you'll learn. So how did I get to this? So one, one other thing I'll share with you, y'all you know, know I'm a big nerd. I love to read, right? And so I had, I think the summer, yeah, the summer of 2016, I had a stack of books. I, I was reading maybe in Essence or I don't know, some, some magazine, may not have been Essence, but anyway, they listed like the top 2050, I can't remember, feminist books out there. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to read, not all of them, but I'm going to go through and select a great portion of those books to read. And I think the first one I read was The Second Sex by Simone de Beauvoir. But a truly phenomenal book that really spawned this was The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan. Okay. And this book was written, I think, in, let's see, 1963. It was written in 1963. And she interviewed, I can't remember how many women, let's see, did I write that down in my notes? I don't know how many women she interviewed, but she did this comprehensive study of women at, in the late 50s. She was, you know, I'm trying to understand, you know, what it is that, how they found fulfillment. I just kind of, kind of share where it was. So this was like August of 2016. I read this book and I wrote down in my notes, you know, is this all? Is this all the quintessential question of a woman looking for fulfillment, whether it is the housewife making peanut butter sandwiches or in, in the feminine mystique or the high powered corporate executive trying to lean in? Women deserve to know what it means to be fulfilled. So one of the concepts in or one of the things that she talked about in the fem feminine mystique was uh, this whole concept of being of, of being neurotic, <coughs> wanting more. Excuse me. So I asked the question, is it neurotic? For or unfeminine or unhappy to want to be a poet or a physicist or a president? So one of the questions that she continuously asked was because at this time women were beginning to enter the workforce. And so there still was this tension between the traditional concept of being feminine and particularly as it related to marriage was the housewife who did not work outside the home versus this expanding role of women in the workforce. And so did they lose their femininity by becoming a leader, right? Does that is that attention. And I know also when I did my dissertation research, this was kind of one of the things that they talked about was to be a great leader meant in some, in many respects to be unfeminine because a lot of the great leadership aspects are masculine. If you adapted these masculine aspects, well, then you were no longer feminine, right? So she talked about this and she talked about this neurotics, neuroticism, right? So that made me ask the question, you know, why is being feminine the antithesis of leadership? You know, why is ambition the antithesis of femininity? And what does 
fem what is feminine fulfillment? And is it wrong for a woman to want something more? And then that made me think about, well, is it wrong for a woman to not want anything more than being married and having a home and having her children? Why does either have to be wrong, right? So again, this whole living your life in the and concept. Because if you live your life in the or, you're either happy being at home or you're happy working outside the home. I don't think you have to choose either, right? I think either choice is the right choice. And either choice, and, and you don't really have to decide between either. You, you find your space. So that kind of led me on this quest of living life on the end. So that's in August of 2016. And I ended up going to my um, law school, Harvard Law School's Celebration of Black Alumni, which they have like every five years. And I had gone in 2011. Yeah, had gone in 2011. And the next one was in 2016. And incidentally, the it's always the weekend of my birthday. So the first time I went, I didn't go in 2011. I think the first one they had was in 2000 because Barack Obama, I got to remember which one, Barack Obama, then Senator Barack Obama spoke at it. And, I'm like, and then I really could have kicked myself like, why didn't I go? I could have met Barack Obama because you know, he's a Harvard alumni. So anyway, I didn't go in 2000 because I know why I didn't go in 2000. I didn't go in 2000 because I just had my first son and it just really wasn't a good time to go. I think I still might have been breastfeeding and all that business. So anyway, and I didn't go in 2005 because we had just gotten over Katrina and it just, I really went in a good mindset and was trying to get things, literally get my life back together after that. But in 2011, I was like, I'm not going to miss it. So I went in 2011 and it was on my birthday. 2016, it was the day after my birthday. So I just turned 44. Yeah, I just turned 44. And so I was also in the midst of big life changes because my husband and I, then husband and I had initially separated in April of that year. We were separated for about eight weeks, got back together in June. Yeah, got back together in June. And so we were reaching what I didn't realize was so imminent, the end of our marriage for the second time. So anyway, in this very pensive state, trying to figure out where my life was going. And so I go to my heart, Black Law student, I mean, celebration of Black Law students, Black Law alum, alumni. And so this time I'm in a very reflective state. The first time I went, I was enamored by the celebrities because, you know, it's a lot of important people Kenneth Chenault, the he was then the CEO of American Express. He was there. Um, and, you know, just all these big name people who are doing great things. And when I went in 2016, it was this big comparison game because I was just the chief compliance officer for a health system. I was not a Supreme Court justice. I was not the president of the United States. You know, I was an underachiever in relation, you know, how I was really looking at underachiever in relation to all my law school colleagues. 2016, I was cool with where I am. You know, I had made my own decision. It wasn't a, a comparison game. It was reflective. And so on the second day, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the second or the last day, 
well, we had a breakfast um, meeting and the topic was somewhere around, let's see, I didn't write down what the, what the topic was, but it was career centered around balance. And there were men and women on the panel. And the first, oh, the first panelist got up and said, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That was just kind of how he started. And first of all, I believe, what's the point of having cake if you can't eat it, right? So I just do not subscribe to you can't, can't have your cake and you can have your cake and you can't eat it, right? If you're going to bake some cake, you need to eat the cake, right? Now, you can't eat the whole cake at the whole at, at one time, but if you're going to bake a cake, you can eat it. So I don't subscribe to it. That was kind of how he started it off. But we get on this conversation about balance and finding your place in the world. And one of my colleagues, she was class of 96. I'm class of 97. Katrina Campbell got up. Room's quiet. She gets up and she delivers this. I'll call it a soliloquy. But I tell you, she struck a nerve in all of us. And she was like, she was looking into my whole soul when she talked about it. These are the notes I wrote. Uh, because she got up and she talked about, well, I'll just write, write what she said. I wrote down Katrina's declaration of not fitting in because of the discomfort of the trinity of woman slash mother, lover, wife, slash career woman. Those were the notes I wrote. But she got up and she talked about, she had divorced. She was uh, in her second marriage. And what we didn't know uh, was she was kind of in, at the end of her second marriage, about to be divorced for a second time. But she was talking about just the conflict of her career and her marriage, kind of the role it played in her first marriage. And she hinted at the issues that she had in her second marriage and how she didn't feel in the right place. She never felt that she fit in. When she was at home, she felt like she should be at work. When she was at work, she felt like she should be at home. And that when she got home, everybody else had been there. I think she said like three hours before she did. So it's just kind of this constant feeling of not enough, not being in the right place and all tied around living life in the or. I'm a career woman or I'm a wife or I'm a mother or I'm me, right? And so that inspired in me this whole concept of Trinity, the Trinity of womanhood. And so I wrote this piece. I wrote this piece called my love-hate relationship with my HLS law degree or my HLS degree because it remained, me being a lawyer remained a thorn in my marriage's side from its inception. And so in this article, I kind of talk about just some of the issues I had with, uh, you know, just going to law school in, in general, but I also talked about the effect that it had on my marriage and how there was always this struggle between being the perfect wife, the best wife, the best mother, or being the best career woman. Because, you know, I would often say to my now ex-husband, you know, I didn't go to Harvard Law School to be a housewife. I didn't. I, I had a career. He knew I had a career. And I often wondered if you truly wanted a housewife, why did you marry somebody who was at Harvard Law School. So we got married when I was in law school. So I didn't go to law school after we got married. He knew that's where I was going to be. But anyway, 
constant source of tension. So anyway, I write this article. And by the way, I will include the link to it in the episode notes. But I write this article about my love-hate relationship with Harvard. But I talk about this living life in the end, the trinity of being the, um, the woman, me, Stephanie, slash mother, lover, wife, slash career woman. And I, that was when I decided that I didn't have to be one or the other, that I truly could be all. And at the time, I was really trying to accomplish that in the marriage I was in. Kind of a funny story, but not really funny. My then husband read the article. He got conflicted. And like, I don't know, maybe two or three days after he read it, he ended our marriage for the second time. So, you know, that marriage, I mean, that uh, that article prompted him to relieve me of the stress and tension of balancing my marriage with my career aspirations. So that's kind of a funny, but anyway, it is what it is. But truly that was what it was. So anyway, that's how we get to where we are now with this living life in the end. And, you know, I just wanted to set all of this up and I invite you again to subscribe to the podcast. And I hope that you enjoy these conversations that we're going to have over the next hundred episodes. Yes, it, it blows me away to even think about doing that, but I am going to do it. I am going to achieve it. But I do invite you to subscribe. So, you know, the as I mentioned, you know, this is all about having great conversations, but I believe in having powerful conversations and making sure that my conversations have a point and my conversations produce an outcome. So the Living Life in the End series is a quest to find out how women can have it all. So over the course of these series, over the course of the series, I'll interview the women, we'll have great conversations, and at the end, I'm going to ask the research questions. And once I get, or as I go through it, I'll compile it, but I'm going to see what the threads are and just see what women really think about femininity, about fulfillment, about success, about what having it all means. Because I believe there's power when we're at the table. There's power when women talk, but it is truly powerful when we get up from the table and we make those CEO moves. So I invite you on this journey. I invite you on this quest. Thank you for indulging me and listening to me talk the whole time. And y'all literally, I could talk all day on this. I'm so excited. I had to have, I got all my little notes so I could keep myself organized and I wouldn't be all over the place. But I'm so very excited about it. I hope you read the article. Like I say, I'll put the, the link in the episode notes so that you can read the article. Of course, share with me what you think. And I look forward to you being a part of this journey. So, you know, um, this has been truly a labor of love. I'm so excited that I didn't punk out on myself. And I'll just say it like that because I literally had to get up this morning and tell myself, don't punk out and not do this launch today because I would have come up with every reason. I had to take a break in the middle of my day to, to actually do it, but I'm con- I was committed and determined to do it. So I didn't punk out on myself. I showed up in the C-suite because I truly believe and truly desire for other women to be inspired to learn something and to figure out what their own C-suite is. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you again so much for indulging me, me and my nerdy 
talkative self, but I'm truly passionate about this and so excited about it. I'm excited about the journey and what I'll learn about myself, but what I'll learn from other women, because it's truly we, we truly can learn so much from each other if we just listen. So thank you so much for joining me here in Conversations from the C-Suite, The Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. I hope that even today with my lengthy soliloquy and, you know, loquacious, loquacious, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but we're talking a lot, self, that you have learned, that you have felt something, that you've been inspired to think about things in a way perhaps you didn't before, that you've learned something. And but most of all, I want you to do something. I want you today to commit to deciding to create the life you desire, deserve. I'm going to say it like I said to myself, don't punk out on you, right? Okay. And that may not be politically correct. And I may get in trouble for it, but you know, one of the things you'll learn, I'm very educated. <clears throat> you know, I have a law degree from Harvard. I have a PhD in organizational leadership. But I do revert to the vernacular from time to time because I do keep it real, right? I'm still just your girlfriend, just happens to be in the C-suite. So I want you to always feel something, learn something. Most of all, I want you to do something. And you do something when you make those CEO moves, when you create your circle of influence, when you educate and empower yourself for elevation, and when you operationalize what you learn to optimize your outcome. So whether you are reporting to a CEO or you are the CEO of your own business, you are always the CEO of you, which means you always have the power to decide to create extraordinary outcomes in your business and in your life and beyond. And extraordinary is being fabulous. Transcending the ordinary to create extraordinary effects in your life and beyond. So until next time, thank you for joining me here in the C-suite. I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes, and it has been my pleasure to help you make some CEO moves today. But remember, the power is not just in the conversation, but in your CEO moves. So don't just talk about it, be about it, right? Do something about it now. Don't wait, wait broke the scale. Now is the best time to do what you know needs to be done. So whatever that is, I ain't going to get all up in your business, but you know what you need to do. So do it, right? So do it. So remember, your life is the product of your choices. So choose to be the CEO of you. Choose to create the life you desire and deserve. Hello, I am Dr. Stephanie D. Barnes. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Conversations from the C-Suite, the Girlfriend's Guide to Being a CEO. I hope that you are ready to make CEO moves. Please be sure to let me know what made you feel something, what you learned, or what moved you to action. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on a great conversation. And of course, I'd love it if you would give me a rating and review and let me know about your experience in the C-Suite. I want this to be a great journey for you. Remember, your life is the product of your choices. Choose to be 
the CEO of you. Until next time.